Welcome to another episode of This is Hot Boga. Uh, before we get started, we'd like to thank a few companies for making this podcast possible. First up is Sturka Optics. We've been using their glass for a long time and love the quality and the, the amazing warranty that they provide. If you want to learn more about Sturka Optics, go to sturkastrong.com. So next up is Hill People Gear. Uh, we've had them on as a guest before. We've talked to some of the, the owners there, and they're a great bunch of guys. And Jimmy, you're actually... We're both running the Decker packs, yeah, and we can literally put anything we want yeah, into, into these packs. I mean, we, we go out with our, our ground blinds, our tree saddles, and everything else we might need. So we got out there and... Daughters. Daughters. daughters we'll throw a few kids in there. And we love it. They haul weight well. They're durable, American-made, and uh, an amazing company. Check them out at hillpeoplegear.com. We're avid outdoorsmen and conservationists, and it's important to us to work with brands that are both high-end and care about the world in which we live. Enter United by Blue. For those of you who don't know, United by Blue is an outdoor gear and apparel company that is dialed in on ocean and waterway conservation. We run a lot of their clothes just on the street. Jared went on a hot date with one and his wife the other day and did. Uh, wore a few uh, United by Blue pieces. Really impressed her. Good quality product, good quality clothing. And for every purchase that you make, they remove a pound of trash out of the local waterways around you. And it gets better. When you uh, go to make a purchase, enter Hot Boga at checkout to get a uh, nifty little discount. Check them out at unitedbyblue.com. New Breed Archery! We love New Breed Archery. Uh, I've been shooting their bows for a while. A while is in a year? A while is in a year. It feels like longer. It does feel like longer. We're getting some new bows put together right now. Custom dipped. Jared, what are you going to be shooting this year? I'm going to be shooting the ETX 35. All right. And I'm going to be shooting the RK1 because I'm a true... Uh, true traddy? True, true trad hunter. And mine's going to be in some uh, really special custom colors, which I'm excited to announce, but I won't announce yet. Stay tuned. Head on over to New Breed. Look at their options. You might just fall in love. Good. Good to have you. Thanks for taking a few minutes to come talk to us here at Hot Boga today. It's my pleasure. So, Nathan, tell the world who you are and what you do. I am Nate Peters. I am the public affairs officer for the Huron-Manistee National Forest. You, uh, so you're what, located in Cadillac, I'm, I'm assuming? I'm based in Cadillac, Michigan. Our forests are quite large. They're comprised of about a million acres on the west side of the state, running north from Muskegon County up to Wexford County, and on the east side of the state, running from Roscommon County over to Oscoda County. So you've got uh, quite a bit of land under your your watch. Yes, indeed we do. It is a uh, pleasure to manage all of it. Yeah, I can believe it. You, and you, you grew up in the area too? I grew up in Lansing, actually. Uh, so not too far. Yeah, not too far. Tell me a little bit about how you got into uh, the National Forest Service. Did you get a forestry degree or, you know, how, how'd you get to where you are? Well, I actually took a very roundabout way of getting into the Forest Service. I served with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security for half a dozen years or so in Washington, D.C. Like many people, I wanted to get back home to Michigan, grew a little weary of city life. I wanted yeah. to get back to uh, the great outdoors. Pure Michigan. And uh, pure Michigan, exactly. Uh, you know, I've always really felt that, to paraphrase Doug Hammarskjöld, that no life is more satisfactory than one of selfless service to your country uh, or to humanity. And, and the Forest Service motto is just that. It's, it's caring for the land and serving. So from that perspective, this, this agency seemed like it would be a, a really good fit for me. It has a very critical mission, protecting our nation's forests and grasslands. Uh, and I really wanted to be part of that, to use the, uh, the talents that I had, uh, which are primarily in the realm of public affairs, to help spread the message about why those forests and grasslands are important 
and uh, why we should be sustaining them present and future generations. How, how long have you been doing this? I have been here for uh, just under a year. Okay. And I uh, look forward to many more. So you're a recent, you're recently back to Michigan, fairly recently. Indeed. Okay. Now, I, I don't know if this is how it works, but do you guys move around different posts or you, you're, you're in Michigan for the foreseeable future? Well, I will remain in Michigan for the foreseeable future, but we always have, you know, detail opportunities where folks in our agency can move to uh, other locations. And this is particularly true in the realm of fire. When we have wildfires out west, a lot of the times we will move uh, personnel and resources out to those locations uh, to uh, help prevent and, and mitigate wildfires. Somebody in my position might go serve as a public information officer helping yep. to coordinate communications during those incidents. Firefighters obviously go out and fight fires, but numerous other staff do everything from logistics uh, to planning, you know, to the care and feeding of the frontline wildland firefighters. That's amazing. Maybe before we go any further about what you do, you want to tell us a little bit about the U.S. Forest Service generally, and then maybe more specifically about the Huron-Manistee National Forest. So yeah, start with the U.S. Forest Service. Do you know when it started? Yeah, so the U.S. Forest Service is approximately 100 years old. Today, the uh, the agency manages 154 national forests okay. throughout the country. It has a complex but uh, critically important mission. We are charged with sustaining the health, resilience, and productivity of our national forests and grasslands. And those national forests provide timber for homes. Yep. They provide clean water, critical fish and wildlife habitat, abundant recreational opportunities. The Huron-Manistee National Forest, as we mentioned earlier, is located in northern Michigan. We have approximately a million acres of public land that we manage, and we manage that land for timber, for recreation, for fire. We also manage for, for fish and wildlife habitat, and, and we partner with communities on infrastructure projects. So it's a very diverse mission. Yeah, so back almost 100 or over 100 years ago now, Forest Service started, and that's under the USDA, is that right? That's correct. We are an agency of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, separate and distinct from the National Park Service, right. which is in the U.S. Department of Interior. And the critical difference is that we manage our lands uh, actively. Our, we're a working forest. You know, we harvest timber and, of course, replant trees. You know, we manage for uh, fire and we do a number of other, uh, perform a number of other activities that, the, uh, that, that some of the other land management agencies may not do. So initially, you know, 19, I think, 05, if I looked it up correctly Correct. uh, on Wikipedia. <laughs> Why was the U.S. Forest Service set up? What, was, what kind of brought about that, the creation of, of that branch? Well, it was largely the efforts of a gentleman by the, uh, the name of uh, Gifford Pinchot, uh, who saw that um, his family was in timber, and he saw that at the time, it was not profitable to invest long-term in forest resources. It was most economical to you know, strip the land uh, and sell off the timber. There was very little management for things like wildfires, and so it was considered risky to by uh, investing in, in replanting a forest. So uh, Pinchot saw that the, the nation's uh, you know, resources were at risk and he worked with President Roosevelt and, and others to uh, establish the U.S. Forest Service to help protect our uh, forest resources and to, as I mentioned earlier, sustain healthy, resilient, and productive forests for, for the future generations. Has that, has that mission changed at all since the, its inception? Well, you know, the, the world has become a more complex place, of course. <laughs> Uh, you know, the heart of the mission has always been to, you know, care for the land and serve the yeah. public. Uh, and, and we continue to do that every day. From your perspective, has that U.S. Forest Service, has that been successful so far? Well, I can't speak for the agency, but, uh, you know, 
from our, our perspective in the, in the Huron Manistee National Forest, you know, we're working very hard to make sure that we're successful every day, that we're delivering benefits to local communities, uh, whether that's, you know, revenue from timber sales or jobs or recreational opportunities. Tourism is an enormous business in, yeah. in northern Michigan, and uh, we try to provide access to recreational opportunities to all Americans to encourage people to come here and enjoy their national forest. Yeah, it's incredible the impact that recreation. So, you know, from our perspective, especially hunting has on northern Michigan, you go up there summertime, Mm -hmm. it's full of people. Uh, Fall, it's even full of people. If you go up in October and you try to buy Twinkies from a gas station, they're all gone. Jared will have bought them all on our hunting (laughs) trip on the way. (laughs) It has an incredible impact up there. And so if I understand this right, the Huron Manistee National Forest then falls under the purview of the U.S. Forest Service, right? So it's USDA, U.S. Forest Service, and then underneath Correct. that, the National Forest. Okay. Yeah, the way we're organized, we have a, a national agency that's based in Washington, D.C. We have uh, nine regional offices. Uh, we fall under the Eastern Region or uh, Region 9. And then under those regional offices, we have National Forests. And then the national forests themselves are broken up into ranger districts. Okay. Uh, so you'll often hear people talking about forest rangers. Well, those forest rangers are the individuals who run each individual district. We have four on the, here on Manistee National Forest, two on the east side, two on the west side. They are based in uh, Baldwin, Michigan, yeah. Manistee, yeah. Michigan, Oscoda, Michigan, and Mayo, Michigan. I mean, we spend quite a bit of time in the Baldwin area. Mm-hmm. So then do, will you guys work with the Hiawatha Forestry Service as well? Absolutely. Uh, we fall under the same region. We work with both the Hiawatha and the Ottawa. Those are the other two national forests in Michigan. Uh, Michigan is blessed with three national forests, which is quite a lot for the eastern uh, yeah. region. You know, an interesting story behind that that we, we can get into if, if you guys are interested. Absolutely. But, yeah. um, originally, the Forest Service was, was, was based principally out west, at least in terms of the national forest, because at the time of its inception, that was where public land was available. And the Forest Service, the national forests were created from public land. It wasn't until 1911 when Congress passed a law called the Weeks Act uh, mm-hmm. that the federal government was granted the authority to purchase back lands from private landowners on the east side of the country, east of the Mississippi. And that authority enabled federal government to kind of carve out these uh, national forests in the eastern United States. The really interesting thing is we have a proclamation boundary around our national forests here in Michigan. But on the Huron National Forest, the, proclam- the, the land within the proclamation boundary is only approximately 60% federal owned. Okay. And on the uh, Manistee side, it's only 40 some percent federal owned. So the map is, it, it looks checkered, really. There's uh, private land next to federal land next to state land. And that introduces complexities when it comes to our management, but it's also an opportunity for us to collaborate with many different stakeholders. We work very closely with the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. Uh, we work very closely. Those are the guys uh, that you with, run uh, from, that our listeners run from. It's the DNR. The other, you know, you, you know, forest guys are, are safe. We don't have to, you know, that we know hide. <laughs> of course, we're kidding. We well, don't hide from anybody, but the joke's too easy. Well, I will, I will say this about the DNR. They are fantastic partners of the Forest Service, and uh, they do a great job uh, managing state lands here in Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've I've only had good experiences with DNR mm-hmm. officers. So, you know, going back, so you mentioned mentioned Gifford Pish Pichot, Pichot, is that how you, Pinchot? Pinchot. Pinchot, and then Teddy Roosevelt, kind of the two guys behind it. But what was going on in the U.S. that kind of got people's attention and kind of pushed them towards, you know, looking at the great outdoors as more of a, a resource, something to be managed? You know, obviously, we, we've 
talked a bit about on here about Teddy Roosevelt, but who are some of the other guys that made that happen? Uh, well, I'm I'm no uh, historian, uh, but you know there was a big uh, conservation push toward the end of the 19th century. Right. So you know the inception of the Sierra Club and John Muir and other you know interested parties. Um, it, it wasn't you know necessarily a one man effort. Yeah. There, there were a lot of folks, both in Congress and in the public writ large, that, that started to see conservation as a means of sustaining our natural resources. Yeah, absolutely. And guys like, you know, Aldo Leopold. Some Aldo writing. Leopold, yep, came a little bit later. For, yeah. You know, great forest service employee, did a lot of great work out in New Mexico. So Sand County Almanac. Absolutely. Jared, have you read that book? No. You got to read that book. It's oh, like, if you're a classic. hunter and you haven't read Sand County, County Almanac, it is amazing. I'm more of an audio book. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have audio books. I'm a visual learner. Oh, I'm a listener learner. Yeah. So here on Manistee started, uh, when did that begin officially? Uh, administratively, so the forests were actually two separate forests, right? And uh, we were administratively combined, I believe, in uh, 1945. Prior to that, forests had, had existed separately. Uh, so since 1945, we've managed them as a single entity. Before we move on, I wanted to take a minute to thank one of our show sponsors, Pelican Coolers. These coolers are extremely tough and backed by a lifetime warranty. But what I like most about our coolers is that as tough as they are, they can be opened with the push of a button. So it'll keep the bears out, but you won't have any trouble getting in. And it gets even better. Right now, if you type in pelicancoolers.com slash hotboga, you'll get a free tumbler with the purchase of any cooler. And we all use the uh, 32-ounce tumbler, and it does an amazing job at keeping hot drinks hot for a very long time and cold drinks cold for a very long time. I'm going to do something maybe a bit unusual or something that I haven't done yet, but I'm going to throw out a James D. Guarantee, which is something I don't just toss around willy-nilly. I'm going to James D. guarantee that if you buy one of these coolers, you'll have the best cooler experience you've ever had, and you'll be changed as a person for the better. Your life will be totally different from here on out. So don't take my word for it. Go check them out for yourself, pelicancoolers.com slash hotboga. And now, back to our show. Yeah, it's a big it's a big space, and there's a big mm-hmm. chunks of land between different forests where where you're located. So, is that difficult to do just because of the distance, or is it kind of easy now with you know the internet and phones and everything? Uh, well, yeah, we obviously have a very close working relationship with our colleagues on each side of the forest. We we try to manage the two units centrally from Cadillac, Michigan, which is roughly in the center of the two forests geographically. I would say that really the only uh, the only challenge sometimes is uh, you know the drive to the other side, but right. even that you know is short nowadays. It takes about you know two and a half hours to get from one side to the other. Well, and they just increased the speed limit up there to seventy five, which mm-hmm. it, in, a, in Michigan means you got about you can hit about 85 and you're pretty you'll safe. Be fine. Yeah. Well, I would uh, as a federal employee, I would uh, never condone speeding. So <laughs> please drive to... safe, buckle up, and that's right. <laughs> you you handled the DNR stuff well, yep. the speeding stuff well. You know, this is all just a test, and so far you're doing all right. You you, you mentioned very good. <laughs> you mentioned forest fires. You know, you read about them out west a lot. Uh, do you see a lot of forest fires in the Michigan area? We do, in fact. And I think that's a common misconception, especially downstate, that only, you know, forest fires only exist out west. Right. Certainly, the fires that we've been seeing recently out west are much larger than what we've experienced recently here in Michigan. Right. Uh, but the Huron Manistee National Forests have actually responded to approximately 85 wildfires already this year. Wow. And many of those are small, but the vast majority of them are man-made. 
you know, 95% plus are all man-made, which means that they're preventable. So, you know, we encourage folks to be fire-wise. You know, if you're going to burn, you know, leaf litter uh, in your yard, uh, make sure uh, that you check for burn permits. Go to uh, uh, the Michigan DNR manages a burn permit management information system that you can uh, check online. They update it every day at 10 o'clock. You can also uh, give them a call. I, I believe the number is one eight 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 nine two two burn they'll let you know if you're able to burn in your county the other thing that uh, we're encouraging folks to do is uh, be very careful around your campfires you know campfires mm-hmm. can easily get away even if they're left smoldering you know they can they can smolder for for several days the sandy soil up here you know all but ensures things dry out really quickly so we can have rain you know one morning and just a couple of hours later, it can be dry enough to burn. So, you know, when you're camping, make sure that you put your fire out completely. We recommend drowning it in water, stirring the uh, mixture until everything is, is doused, and then uh, carefully feeling to ensure that the fire is cold to the touch before you leave it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you guys are, you know, the U.S. Forest Service is behind Smokey the Bear, right? Uncle, I'm lo- Indeed. Looking Uncle Sam, uh, based on the Uncle Sam, only you can prevent forest fires, Smokey the Bear. Well, in fact, it's only you can prevent wildfires now. Oh, yeah. Oh, wildfires. Yeah, it, could not, right, it could not be just in the forest. Correct. Could be in the grassland, could be elsewhere. Interesting. And, and you mentioned logging being a focus too. You know, I would imagine the, the way the logging industry looked at the beginning of uh, here in uh, Manistee National Forest and even the U.S. Forest Service, logging looks very different then does it, than it does now. What's, uh, what kind of relationship do you have with the logging industry right now? I think we have a generally good relationship with our logging partners here in Michigan. You know, we we cooperate uh, actually very closely with the state, too, in logging uh, through an authority called Good Neighbor Authority, which uh, enables us to uh, partner together on uh, logging projects to share revenue. You know, we are a a pretty high-volume forest for the uh, eastern region here. I I think we ended up last year, I think we had about 60 million uh, CCF of timber out of here. So it's it's a pretty pretty high-volume forest. Are you able to break down the revenue allocation? Like, where is it going after you guys receive that? Oh, gosh, that's a bit uh, that's a bit beyond my depth. A lot of it goes back, okay. back into the, to the National Forest um, under an authority called the Secure Rural Schools. Some of that revenue goes back to local counties. We make sure that the, uh, the counties also benefit from this activity. So, you and know, I do t- want to uh, issue ahead. a correction earlier. I do apologize. Uh, earlier, I said that burn permit information system could be reached at a, a phone number, and it's one eight six six nine two two burn. Again, that's eight six six nine two two burn. Okay. Are there are there any costs associated with those burn permits, or is this something you call in and they say, yeah, you can have you can burn? You know, uh, you check the information system, and uh, that lets you know whether or not you can burn in your county. I would, of course, refer you to the uh, DNR for additional information. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good information because, you know, we've seen a, a bunch of times where you'll walk up or someone was camping, and you know they haven't put out the fire out the right way, and you can see on a windy day with, you know, like you said, how dry it can get, especially in the northern area of Michigan. You can see how things could go south pretty quickly. They can. We encourage folks to make sure that they keep their fires to a, to a manageable size. You know, you don't want to stack it up, you know, over four feet tall and and, and light it. And, and you especially <laughs> don't want to leave it. And that goes for campfires, too. You should never leave a fire unattended. Yeah. No more pallet fires, Jim. No more pallet fires in the middle of the woods. Hauling them out there is really the, the challenge. Nate, Nate, tell me a little bit about your position. What's your typical day look like? Well, I don't have a typical day. Uh, as the public affairs officer, I could be handling anything from you know inquiries from the public to attending meetings with uh, partner groups. I handle the congressional affairs for Forest 2. So when you know 
congressional offices get constituent inquiries. They often send them our way. I, uh, you know, we manage the social media accounts here. We try to put out information to, you know, help people experience, you know, safe and sustainable recreation in the forests and try to get out. You don't want to stay under the filter lights in your office too right. long. So, you know, we, we do try to get out, you know, assist with uh, various volunteer projects, attend events and uh, mingle with forest users. They are often the uh, best source of information about challenges that, you know, we're facing on the, on the forest. So you, you still get some time to get out in the woods. You're not locked up in an office all day. Oh, I'm, all, I'm locked up in the office for a lot of the day. But yes, uh, <laughs> we, we do try to make time to get out. So when you're out, you, I, yeah, I would imagine you've got some good hunting spots you can tell us about off, uh, off the air. Uh, we can tell you about those off the air. The other thing I could do is uh, point you to a, a new tool that one of our Fire and Fields program employees just developed. Uh, we've just put out a story map online, the uh, story of prescribed burning. And uh, right now it only covers the uh, Huron side of the forest. And I'm telling you this a little bit late because turkey season just ended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the map essentially tells users why uh, prescribed fire is so important, not only from you know a wildfire prevention uh, perspective, but also from a, uh, an ecological perspective. Yeah. Uh, and this particular fire map will show you uh, in the Huron National Forest where you might be able to go uh, wild turkey hunting based upon where we've conducted prescribed burns recently. That's really interesting because you give a couple months between a burn and you give it a couple months and deer will start popping in there quite a bit, eating the fresh browse that comes up. One big proponent of that is Dr. Grant Woods. If, you, if any listener has a chance, look him up, growingdeer.tv. He's all about the prescribed burn. Um, we should have him on here sometime. But, That's um, a bad idea. Yeah, he's, he's, but the prescribed burn is, is an amazing tool. And you go out west and you know, a lot of the planning that I'll usually do is where was the most recent burn? And, and usually you can find some good, good animal activity there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these, these burns really do stimulate the growth of, of new native plants that, that provide food for, you know, deer, for turkey, for other game animals. And not only that, the carbon from the burn actually helps nutrients the soil. And yeah, like you said, it helps, yeah, yeah. it helps everything to grow. Yep, absolutely. So our, our fire map will also, you know, uh, show you where you can find morel mushrooms and, uh, and yep. blueberries too. So, uh, yeah. um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll provide you a link to that so you guys can share it with your listeners. You know, if it's uh, popular enough, who knows? Maybe we can band it to uh, other areas, other plants and game. This is a great place to stop and do another segment of First Steps with First Light, a series where experts from First Light help us with some tips for the hunting noobs. This week, we've got Kevin Harlander, a community manager from First Light, on to discuss a few tips for hunting-related physical training. So, Kev, how do you prepare yourself physically during the off-season? Okay, so that's a simple answer for me. I, I like functional movement and variety. Um, I like to hike a lot in the off-season, and I lift just a little, a couple days a week. I do things outside that help me with stability and endurance and within that lifting that I'm doing to supplement sort of the hiking aspect is is very functional movement so a lot of body weight exercises pull-ups push-ups and a little bit of running I'm not big on meal plans or super intense gym sessions or supplements I think you should eat real food and be versatile in your prep one thing I, I like to like to try to employ in my training is actually shooting my bow after I've done some sort of physical exercise I think that's great there's no real supplement so to speak for elevation or thinner air so I think it's important just to be able to gut some things out too so preparing mentally too is a big aspect of of how I, I get in physical shape yeah so that's a, that's how I uh, that's how I stay in shape over the off season awesome thank you and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you again soon
So you, I would imagine you, you deal with hunters on occasion too. Is that right? Oh, yes. You know, we encourage hunting on the Heron Manistee National Forest, and uh, we try to make it pretty easy. For the most part, we uh, follow state law. So, right. you know, you don't need a special permit to, to hunt here. What about dispersed camping? Do you need a permit for uh, that? Yes, dispersed camping. Yes. So that is also free in the National Forest. It's permitted almost anywhere uh, except, of course, developed campgrounds. You know, there are a couple of wild and scenic river corridors where it's, it's not allowed. It's, it'll be posted where it's not allowed. We have some rules on our website that I can also link your listeners to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are just a couple of basic rules for dispersed camping. One, we ask that everybody camp at least 200 feet away from water sources and 400 feet away from uh, Lake Michigan if you're in the Nordhaus Dunes Wilderness Area. Why is that? Uh, in Nordhaus Dunes in particular, uh, you know, the um, dunes are a very sensitive ecosystem. Sure. And uh, we have a lot of critters, including some sensitive critters like uh, pitcher plants and piping clover, whose habitat could be disturbed uh, if people were to camp on it. And, uh, you know, the same goes for, for water sources elsewhere. It, mm-hmm. just, it really helps, you know, reduce, uh, you know, pollution, erosion, and it uh, helps campers leave no trace. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, what we are we are going for because we want everybody. We we not only want everybody to enjoy you know their national forest, but uh, we want you know future generations, you know our kids, our grandkids, to be able to have the same fantastic experience that we have when we go out camping or hunting in these woods. Yeah, I mean uh, we we love the dispersed camping yep. aspect because that's not always allowed depending on who owns the land. Obviously yours is, but the park's land isn't always allowing allowing kind of the dispersed camping everywhere. Correct. And, and we do, for the most part, allow it anywhere. Just pick up a map of the forest, make sure that you're on federal land. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can stay, you can disperse camp for up to 16 days at a time. Then you have to remove your camping equipment and go at least five miles away. It's, it's a really good deal. Can also, a uh, common question we get is, well, uh, what about you know campfires? Can I, do I need a firewood permit uh, if I'm dispersed camping? And no, uh, you don't. If you're dispersed camping uh, and only collecting firewood for campfire, uh, you don't need a permit. You just have to make sure that you don't take any of the firewood out of the forest. Okay. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And of course, be very careful around that campfire and make sure it's out before you leave. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big, that's a big, big one. What are some other uh, issues that you're dealing with right now at the Huron Manistee National Forest? Well, one of the biggest issues, unfortunately, is illegal dumping. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of folk will, uh, you know, see vacant land and they will go out there and they will dump everything from, you know, everyday garbage to oh, uh, sure. bigger things. I mean, we, we just found a, a 16-foot boat that was dumped <laughs> in the forest. Just it's today. still good. You, you, I'll um, take it. What's that tape you can put down to, to basically fix a boat? It says it's like a, there's oh. an infomercial about it. Flex seal. Flex, flex seal. If we got some flex seal, if you still got that boat, you know, I think you can make that thing seaworthy. Yeah, if you're if you're in the market, gentlemen, we, you know, it, it is, you know, in all seriousness, it is, it's a huge deal. Um, yeah. You know, this is not only unsightly, but, you know, it, it impacts uh, local wildlife. Uh, it can have really adverse effects when there are wildfires, especially for firefighter safety, because say like car seats on fire. Yeah. Uh, you know, they produce... Right. Uh, they can produce uh, some pretty uh, unfortunate fumes. So we, you know, we organize volunteer cleanups, but and we're really trying to get the word out. Please, 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 appropriately dispose of your waste. Yeah, it's it's. And if you see dumping, please report it to our ranger stations, and and yeah. we will try to clean it up as soon as we can. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like you, you go up there and you find couches and tires and, and mm-hmm. just things that it's it's just a very like you find one of those little turnarounds or whatever in, in the forest and. It almost inevitably you'll find someone's crap out there, which is yep. just disappointing. With a deer carcass. Uh, there's always, yeah, there's occasionally like a smelly deer carcass there too. Yeah, and if I could make one pitch to your, to your viewers too, you know, another thing that we encounter a lot is lines. 
you know, that's another problem too is, is, you know, if you have a portable blind, you know, please remove it. You're supposed to, to remove those, not leave them up year-round yeah. on National Forest System land. Too what's often a, they're abandoned and, what's and we discover them, you know, months, yeah. late, months later. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. What's what, say, say I come upon that in the woods. Uh, what is my responsibility as, you know, um, an innocent hunter that's finds someone else's, you know, stuff up on a tree? Do I report it, take it down, bring it somewhere? What do you recommend? Uh, we would recommend, you know, noting the location and letting our ranger stations know, whichever is nearest to you. Yeah, because you, you find them up quite a bit. There, there's yeah. a lot of them out there, especially if it's a place where people think it's it's too far back or you know a lot of times i'll find them in the swamp you know people just figure ah no one's coming out here anyways um Mm -hmm. wolves is another kind of topic that i've been reading about in in, uh, michigan and from what i and and correct me if i'm wrong or if this is not something you guys deal with too much but you know from what i've been reading in the up we're maxed out in terms of how many wolves can fit in the up and they're, they're expected to come down and from what I can tell, the DNR is already actively looking for reports of them in, in northern Michigan. Are you guys dealing anything with wolves right now? Uh, we are not, to my knowledge. I, I have not heard any, any reports of wolves down here yet. One thing, of course, we do have is, is black bear. Right. Yep. Uh, in fact, one of the largest populations of black bear in the Lower Peninsula is just a couple of miles from where I'm standing here in Cadillac. Yeah. So one of the things that we try to do every spring is get uh, some information out to folks because we are, you know... Uh, a highly urban forest as national forests yeah. go, you know, um, especially in certain areas. And we just want to make sure that uh, people are being uh, bear aware too in right. springtime, making sure that they bring in their uh, bird feeders, making sure that they are uh, not leaving accessible food out that can attract the black bears to their property uh, and knowing what to do when they encounter a black bear. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they're, they're starting to come down. I, I just read maybe a month ago that they were in JC's Park. You know where that is, Jared, right no. in Grand Rapids? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right by Grand Rapids area. And they're so they're slowly moving south. Now, do you see them quite a bit up in Cadillac? No, we don't see them often. They're pretty shy creatures and uh, really not uh, terribly aggressive. They're usually more afraid of you than, than you are of them. So, you know, we, we don't see them on, on a regular basis. There are occasional sightings. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, probably many years ago now, uh, when I was still living in the Lansing area, I remember they had a black bear, if I remember correctly, walked into a, a Walmart yeah. uh, there on the north. <laughs> it could have just been a really hairy guy. You know, yeah. if you've ever been to some Walmarts, it's hard to tell a black bear from just a really hairy guy in there. Well, uh, I, uh, I certainly can't speak to, to that, but uh, we, we do, uh, you know, on occasion there, there will be a um, black barrel wander a little civilization. So, yeah. you know, we, we just, you know, we try to respect them, keep our, our distance. And uh, like I said, it's, it's important to, to just be bear aware and know what you can do to uh, help avoid, you know, any unnecessary interactions with the, the black bear. Yeah. Now the other the other issue, at least that I've been reading uh, about, especially pertaining to you guys, is the alcohol ban on rivers. And I would imagine that's mostly for people that are doing those river floats on tubes or maybe fishing and drinking. Uh, tell me, tell me what the background is for for this controversy. Uh, so you know, a, a number of months ago, we had proposed a uh, ban on alcohol on some of our wild and scenic rivers, and, and these are rivers that are congressionally protected for uh, a number of reasons, whether it's because of their scenic, uh, natural, cultural, recreational values. These, these are rivers that Forest Service is charged with and other land management agencies are charged with protecting for the benefit and enjoyment of uh, present and uh, future generations. Yeah. And 
Unfortunately, on several of our wild and scenic rivers, uh, we were observing a number of challenges, often but not always associated with excessive alcohol consumption, yeah. uh, including um, uh, threats to visitor safety, illegal trespass on private yeah. lands, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. harassment of river users, widespread littering, and we decided that the time had come to try to do something about it. Well, yeah. you know, looking at what other national forests had done and, and examining our authorities, uh, we elected to pursue an alcohol ban. We received a lot of public feedback, uh, both supportive and opposed. Yeah. And after evaluating that feedback, we decided that we had an opportunity. People were very passionate about the rivers, and we decided that we had an opportunity to pursue a community-driven alternative to yeah. the ban. Yeah, I, uh, I so think... So we uh, delayed... Sir, go ahead. No, I said, I th I'm pretty sure I know what river you're talking about. Uh, well, there were three, actually, and it wasn't mm -hmm. the full rivers, too. I want to, to, to make that clear. Okay. It was simply the wild and scenic sections of the Osabal River, uh, the uh, Pine River, and the Manistee River. Oh, really? And not, not the Muskegon? No, not the Muskegon. That is not the designated wild and scenic river. Okay. Uh, there it is, yep. We, you know, again, the intent all along was to simply try to address uh, this behavior, which I think we can all agree nobody really right. wants to see out there. You know, we, no. we don't want to see harassment of, of river users. We don't want to see, you know, threats to safety. We don't want to see trespass. We organized a community working group that uh, has been meeting with the Forest Service, and mm -hmm. they are the, that working group consists of community leaders, business owners, liveries, recreationists, and private landowners, mm -hmm. uh, folks from conservation organizations. Really, I think it's a broad tapestry of, of, of river users, uh, folks that live, uh, work, and play on those rivers, folks that were both for and against the ban are on the group, and uh, we've been discussing over the last couple of months measures to uh, help, you know, educate people about the value of the wild and scenic rivers, also about, you know, proper yeah. river safety and etiquette. And, you know, we've also been discussing ways that we can empower river users uh, to be good stewards of the resource. Yeah. And so the working group is finalizing an action plan for the summer. Uh, it will be announced soon. And uh, we'd be happy to keep you guys and uh, your listeners informed uh, yeah, as absolutely. we move forward. But mm -hmm. I think that uh, I think that we're good, going in a good direction, and we're really excited about the opportunity to partner with our communities to uh, try to address this challenge. We want to make sure that these rivers are accessible to all right. Americans. Right? These are our, not our, sorry, they are your <laughs> national wild and scenic rivers. Sure. And we want to make sure that they can be accessed and enjoyed by anybody at any time. Well, and Nate, they're yours too. I mean, I would imagine you spend some time out camping out in, in the national forest as well, right? Yeah. I mean, we try to get out there as much as we can. You know, most of the folks that work in this office do so because they truly love the outdoors and, yeah. you know, they're committed uh, to making sure that everyone can enjoy these national forests. Yeah. Now, now what's your go-to outdoor activity? Nay, are you a, like a hiker? Are you camper? Do you fly fish, hunt? What, what's your kind of go-to thing? Oh gosh. You know, if I, if I had to pick it, it would probably be hiking and we have a lot of excellent trail systems here uh, in the Huron Manistee National Forest. Actually, uh, I'm big into biking too. I used to be a big road cyclist, but uh, I'd like to transition to a little more to cyclocross and mountain biking. And I'll tell you guys about a couple of trails we have in the forest that sure. I think are, they're really popular. And I, I think that uh, folks will, will enjoy using them. Uh, one is uh, the, the Manistee River Trail, which mm -hmm. is uh, located over uh, near uh, Wellston, Michigan in yep. uh, Manistee County. It forms a loop of the uh, North Country National Scenic Trail, uh, uh. which is, if I, managed by the park service but i believe it's the longest uh trail oh yeah we spent uh, some in, qu quite a bit of time uh, on that trail. 
that 22 mile loop can be pretty uh, busy, but it is wonderfully seen like it's got some decent elevation for <laughs> the lower peninsula here. And uh, there are a lot of the dispersed campsites all along the uh, Manatee side of the yeah. trail. That's a really, uh, really nice place to visit. Nordhaus Dunes. Oh yeah, I spent a lot of time there. 3,500 uh, acres of you know wilderness area, no uh, motorized or mechanized traffic. Really popular area for uh, dispersed camping and for hiking. Uh, and then over on the east side of the state, you know, the Hoist Lake area. I was just out there the other week and was just shocked at the number of birds, oh, the yeah. uh, songbirds that you could hear. So that's about a 10,000 uh, acre uh, foot travel area over in Alcona County. Uh, so those are some popular popular sites. And then uh, in terms of cycling, you know, we've got the Big M Trail too over in, it's also out near uh, just past Wellston in Manistee County, 38 miles. Also uh, doubles in the uh, winter is a cross-country ski uh, and fat tire bike trail. And we've got some partner groups that help us manage that fantastic area uh, if you're into that sort of thing jared do you cross-country ski at all no i've tried one time it looks and it just, hard it just dogged me out big time do you nate are you out there cross-country skiing it so i uh, i just tried to uh, get back into cross-country skiing this winter uh, to uh let's just say less than successful results um, yeah. <laughs> love, love getting out there but the, the coordination just isn't what it used to be when i was younger yeah i mean I just like going down the hill and then having a lift pick me back up. You know, I don't need to deal with like scooting around. I just walk. This body type is not made. No, for Jared's not made for that. I, I'm more of a sprinter. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> Short, distances. Short distances. Yeah. So, um, Nate, tell me a little bit. Well, how's the health of the Huron-Manistee National Forest right now? Um, if you had to give it a, a grade from A to F. Um, I was going to go 1 to 10. 1 to 10? Just the generic 1 to 10. Uh, 1 to 10 then. Uh, generic 1 to 10. What, what's the, uh, how would you rate the health of the Huron-Manistee National Forest right now? Well, I'm not a big fan of scales and, and rankings. Uh, I, I would describe the health as uh, generally uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, but there are some challenges that we're facing, um, like many other national forests and public lands in the United States. We're facing threats from uh, invasive species, the threats from longer and more intense wildfire seasons. Uh, and uh, we're doing a lot of research and doing a lot of work in the field to try to make sure that we can bond to those threats appropriately. Yeah. What's your outlook then for the uh, the forest? Well, I think it's I think it's pretty good, and you know I think the more that we have the opportunity to speak to our public and and, and interact with them, uh, and to uh, encourage folks to uh, be good stewards of the resource, follow the principles of leave no trace, turn to dialogue with us, work with us, partner with us, volunteer when they can. This is uh, this is really a collective effort, and uh, you know we are we are ready and uh, and willing to partner with our communities to make sure that these forests stand the test of time and that they can uh, be continued or that they can continue to be enjoyed yeah. uh, by, you know, hunters and anglers and all outdoor enthusiasts. Yeah. Now, Nate, thank you uh, for, for taking the time to talk, but you know, for, for the listeners that, that are listening in, if they're looking to get information, where can they find out more about the, the forest, about rules, what's going on, what's the best place to get that information? So, you know, there are two good sources online where they can get information. Uh, they can visit our website, which is uh, www.fs.usda.gov slash HMNF, as in here on Manistee National Forest. Mm -hmm. uh, they can also visit our Facebook page, which is uh, at Huron Manistee NFS, as in National Forest. Yep. Again, that's at Huron Manistee NFS. And they can give us a call uh, anytime, or, or at least during regular business hours, I should right. say. Our, our ranger stations are uh, there to uh, be resources for the public. If we call in, are we going to be able to talk with you? Uh, yeah, if you call the Cadillac Supervisor's Office, you, you uh, may be able to catch me. 
right. You don't want to give your phone number out? Uh, my, you know, they'll link you right to me if you ask for me. Okay. So. Well, Nate, hey, thank you for for you guys. Oh, for go you ahead. guys, anything? Yeah, I, you know, I, so. I expected that. We're gonna have to hook up later, and uh, you can tell us about those secret hunting spots. Mm-hmm. That, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, abs- well, absolutely. We'll we'll do that. Like I said, uh, you guys can uh, reach out to our supervisor's office anytime. Two three one seven seven five two four two one. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you, Nate. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. Everybody, thanks again for taking a listen to this episode. Head on over to our Instagram page to stay up to date on everything that we're doing. If you're feeling squirrely, go smash that subscribe button on wherever you're listening to this podcast. We appreciate it. And tell your friends that we are Hot 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 H